Hey, everybody. I'm Scott McKay. This is The Spectacle Podcast. Um, we've got a special guest, but first I'm going to get started. Uh, with me is Melissa McKenzie, the publisher of The American Spectator. I'm Scott McKay, who's a contributing editor of The American Spectator. I also publish Reviver.com and TheHayRide.com. And with us today is John Daniel Davidson, senior editor at The Federalist, who has a very interesting piece that we're going to talk about. Everybody, welcome aboard. John, how are you feeling today? Feeling great. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. So you've got a great piece uh, at The Federalist entitled, Corporate America Has Launched a Religious War. It's Time to Choose Your Side. Um, and I want to just give a quick uh, quote to this is, um, uh, what's happening? Why did so many major corporate brands decide to go all in on promoting an aggressive, radical LGBT agenda that just a few years ago would have been considered totally unacceptable in civil society? Is this a PSYOP? Is it real? What happens next? The short answer to these questions is that we've entered a new phase of the culture war and in some ways have transcended the culture war completely. What we're in now is better described as a religious war one that's been launched by corporate America against all of us and therefore demands we all choose sides. Um, we had to have you on uh, after this piece went up because Melissa and I have been talking about this for four or five months solid uh, within the ambit of the culture war, but really the fact that this is much more of a spiritual conflict. Um, and you know, this is what happens when the left um, and, you know, the forces of what you call the machine, and we're going to talk about the, the phraseology behind that um, in a little bit, um, have basically taken over corporate America and the, the major cultural institutions in our society um, that more or less puts people who uh, respect the traditional um, ways of building those institutions and, and running them. Uh, you would think that we would be the establishment, but we're really the rebels uh, at this point. Um, and, you know, that's, I think, the kind of the, the transcendent fundamental issue of our time is, uh, is this question. Um, so let me turn it over to you real quick and let you expand on, um, on, you know, what you're talking about and specifically talk about the Tao versus the machine. Yeah, thanks. Um, it's it's a, a huge, uh, a huge topic. And, it, you know, the, the news hook to this piece was sort of the series of of things that we saw from from major corporate brands over the past few weeks uh from bud light hiring this uh, trans performer dylan mulvaney to be sort of a, a pr spokesperson and then the backlash around around that and then target rolling out a a, a line of apparel targeting um kids trying to you know uh promoting trans uh transgender ideology going so far as to sell binding and tucking swimwear targeted at children uh you know pegged to june being pride month this these are you know and, and then and then there was a few other things like with the los angeles dodgers inviting this anti-catholic group that that exists basically to to mock and profane the catholic faith to their sort of um to give them an award a community award or something like that uh one thing kind of after another um, 
that I think normal people look at this and and they have those questions like what what is going on like this isn't the normal culture war and I think at this point we have to think of the phrase the culture war as kind of a euphemism uh and and a way to not talk about what's happening right it's this familiar phrase that means uh, it, it itself is almost like a meme in our in in society that it means arguing about abortion it means arguing about gay marriage um and what's happening is deeper than that because what we're ha- we're, we're having a fight about in American society right now is the nature of reality itself right that's what we're having a a, a fight about and so that is to say we're having a, a religious war that that's that's what religions are about about the nature of reality um about what is what is ultimately true about our reality about ourselves about our world and so it's not i think sufficient to call it a you know a battle in the culture war partly as i said because it's just a tired phrase and and we need a new a new phrase to think about it in clearer terms it's a religious war because what is going on on the left is very much a religious movement um, I, I argue and and in fact do argue in a, in a in a book that's that is forthcoming um, that what's happening on the left is is really a kind of rebirth of paganism uh, and and it's a kind of uh, religious fervor behind that uh, and so we have to uh, as as conservatives or just as people who op- who oppose this stuff we have to think of it in clear terms. Uh, that is to say, we have to think of it in religious terms. And in a religious war, everybody has to choose a side. You can't be neutral in a religious war because if if you are, if you are, tr- if you try to be neutral in this religious conflict, you will automatically uh, be be pushed onto the side of the machine, which which we can talk about the the the, the yeah. tower the and the machine. Jump into that real quick because I think it's. I think it's a super um, first of all, it's a super important delineation of the of the two sides of this. Um, And also, you know, it it comes back to C.S. Lewis, which I'm finding everything in 2023 comes back to C.S. Lewis in some you know, way, uh, uh, shape or form at this point. But people need to understand exactly what the the, the, the two sides of this are. So if you'll go ahead and, and yeah. hit us with that, I think it'd be good. Sure. And, and, and these are sort of like a shorthand, right. For, uh, uh, right. for, for the two sides. So everyone has to choose a side in a religious war. You don't get to opt out of it. You, 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 ought to, you, you, you are going to be on a side and it, it can either be the side that you choose or the side that you just get dragooned into. And in our case, because our culture is, is dominated by the machine that is by, by the neo-pagan left, um, if you don't choose a side, if you try to be neutral, you will just end up on that side, uh, on the side of the machine. And I, and I break down. I, I call, and I, of course, I'm borrowing heavily from a bunch of other people. I didn't come up with this paradigm, but uh, an easy way to think about the two sides is to think of the one side, the side of of sort of tradition and and civilization and and Christendom is the side what C.S. Lewis called the Tao. And the Tao was his ecumenical way of referring to objective moral truth, the idea that reality is knowable, uh, that God is knowable through reason, that human beings have a fixed nature, uh, that uh, uh, and that, that the nature of reality 
uh, imposes certain obligations on our on us in terms of our behavior and, and our our obligations to one another and our, our obligations to God. Uh, and that and that that those things are fixed, right? Objective moral truth is fixed. It doesn't change. Um, and Lewis, in an effort to reach as many people as possible and cast as wide of a net as possible, said, you know, this is this this doesn't have to be tied to Christianity, you know, and, and he was right. Uh, up to a certain extent. Um, And that, and that is sort of, uh, that is the side of, of people who, um, who look out on what's happening in our culture on the transing of kids and the celebration of things like abortion on the rise of euthanasia uh, as a positive good and, and are freaked out by it and think that there's something wrong with it. Um, the reason they think there's something wrong with it is because those things are are direct in direct contradiction to the Tao or to objective moral truth. They're 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 evil uh, <laughs> to to put it bluntly. And the side of the machine, which is a phrase that um, I mentioned, the writer Paul Kingsnorth uses a lot, but of course it didn't originate with him either. J.R.R. Tolkien, who I find along with C.S. Lewis, is also at the center of everything yes. that I think about and talk about in 2023. Uh, he he often made reference to the machine um and the machine simply put is is the side that rebels against god against reality against biology that that seeks to assert human will over and against not just god but but reality itself that says right. we can we can become gods we can make ourselves into anything uh, and and there's no limit to what technology uh, and and will can accomplish. And I think we see the ideology of the machine most uh, potently manifested right now in the transgender movement and the related transhumanist movement. Right. Well, I, you know, every time I I see a reference to the machine, it just brings me back. And I guess you know I'm a I'm a child of the '80s, so when I see that. You know, all I can think about is, you know, the new Soviet man, right? Which yeah. is, no, no, no. Human nature is mutable if you are uh, cruel enough on a grand enough scale. You can actually change the way people operate. Um, yeah. And of course, anybody who you know lived in the in the Soviet Union could tell you about what that actually produces, right? And, and you know, some of what it produces is pretty good humor. Uh, because people joked about what a dysfunctional mess the Soviet Union was at all times, right? Yeah. Like they pretend to, to, or we pretend to work and they pretend to pay us and, you know, all of those kinds of things that came out of that. Um, <clears throat> because the machine doesn't actually work unless what you're looking for is, uh, you know, just the raw attainment of power for those who are attached to the machine um, in terms of doing good, in terms of producing results, in terms of getting anything um, accomplished to further the condition of mankind, it's a, it's a colossal failure. And it always has been, um, you know, and I do picking up on the transgender thing, you know, what they've wrought is two in five people who get what they want with a sex change operation or, or whatever are suicidal. Right. You have 40 percent suicide attempt rate for post-op transsexuals. Um, anyone with a sense of morality or propriety would immediately stop pushing this stuff. Um, you know, I mean, you've got a better chance with Russian roulette than you do with um, with with transgenderism. And yet they're pushing this thing like it's a positive good. 
Um, and then you find out whether it's drug companies or hospitals, what, you know, what's really behind this is they get to make people patients for the rest of their lives. Um, yeah. You know, so you can't get any more crass or morally relativistic or flat out evil than that. Um, and oh, it's yeah. I think it's a it's a fantastic um, uh, uh, example of exactly how evil the machine is. Yes, Melissa, please go. Well, I have a question for John. So it seems like 10 years ago when this this kind of vague march started on the left, that it was. You would see via social media, of course, the leftist kind of screeching about things and then the powers that be backing down and kind of becoming more neutral. What's, what seems to be new and it's and associated with like the ESG stuff where it's actually, you know, corporations are scored on how socially conscious they are and the definitions are all made by people on the left. This is a huge shift. And, mm -hmm. and it's something that has been kind of subtle. It, it started out, ironically enough, with uh, Bill Clinton, at least it seems to me, where they had the, all of a sudden, everybody in those years I were being taught about, um, you know, not sexually harassing your secretary, for example. That started way back. I won't even say how old I am, but way back. And and now it seems to be infected everything. And what what a, a kind of the crazy that seemed um, stuck on a college campus, yeah. or maybe you know someone at work had to endure an hour of you know training per year is now ubiquitous. Yeah. And so what happened? What happened? How did we get yeah. here? I, yeah, I, I think it's a great question. I, and and um, I think you mentioned the campus uh, and the campus has sort of been a, uh, a a kind of wet market, if you will, for for these these toxic ideas where they 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 develop and they fester on on college campuses and, and eventually they, they break out, uh, you know, they in into the wider population. And we've seen that with like critical race theory that started on campuses decades ago, uh, actually. And, and you know, critical theory and critical race theory were sort of obscure uh, sort of academic uh, theories and uh, rubrics for analyzing history and society. Uh, and, and, you know, and now um, it's, it's the, the organizing principle that uh, the New York Times has for understanding American history and they're teaching it in elementary school. Right. Um, and, and it's the same, I think with, with, uh, gender ideology. Um, and it's the same with, with, uh, climate change that, that these, these ideas, uh, were always maybe, you know, these ideas were always going to break out. Uh, and, and it was just a question of time. And I think there, there are a few, academics who kind of saw this uh, decades ago and, and said something about it. Harold Bloom comes to mind, um, who saw kind of the this idea that you would look at literature uh, and you would care about like the the sex or the race of, of the author and that that would inform your analysis of it. He, you know, he, he thought that was ridiculous and, and said so at the time. 
Um, this was in the nineties. Right. And, um, uh, but I think he said something and, and others said, said, you know, something similar because they could see that if allowed to kind of, um, persist, uh, and and given legitimacy within academia, these things eventually would would go far beyond academia, and they they would become they would get into the mainstream of American society. And I think that's what's happened partly because we've just sort of allowed our universities to uh, to run wild and and these departments to pro proliferate with with ideologues. Who, who uh, and and what what has happened along with that is that the standards have dropped quite a bit as well it, yeah. within these departments is sort of a joke uh, you know uh, now but 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 it's not a joke it doesn't do us any good to laugh at it because nevertheless there are you know every major university has sort of like a women's study and uh and and a i mean i i i haven't been keeping up so i I'm probably outdated in my own knowledge of the absurdity of, of what some of these 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 departments and majors are, are even called at this point. Um, but but I think that we made a big mistake in sort of allowing this to fester yeah. in, in academia, because you're right. It, now it's not coming from like like the, the, the ideologues, the activists are running the, these institutions and these corporations. Target didn't didn't you know come up with the idea of selling you know binding and tucking swimwear for children um because they had left-wing protesters outside target disrupting things and demanding it it came from it came from inside the corporate headquarters right uh it was something that the the whole company was about same you know same deal with like bud light you know it's not that they had trans activists picketing outside you know bud light distributors uh, it came from within the corporation, and and I and and this is something that I think ordinary Americans who don't pay, you know, who don't have a reason, you know, or didn't have a reason to pay much attention to things like ESG um, or or DEI like training, you know, uh, really need to start paying attention to because it's not just these academia, it's not even just these corporations, you know. It's the U.S. military has has been captured by DEI now, uh, and 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 what's amazing to me is that is that if you actually go and look at these corporations and these institutions and their own materials that they come up with, the internal trainings and the things that they even say in presentations or at the World Economic Forum, they'll just tell you what they're going to do. They'll tell you what their plan is, uh, and it's just as radical and insane as you might imagine it to be. Um, and and then they go and do it, and uh, and the world that they're creating, I think, is a world that most people don't want. Which, back to your point earlier, I, I think it won't work. Um, but they're going to they're going to give it a shot uh, anyway. Well, you say it won't work, but it's working. I mean, right. the thing is, is that the average person is absolutely cowed, and this is up to this point the. Um, Bud Light thing has been, uh, in at least in my memory, the first effective pushback yeah. from the other direction. Yeah. And and the thing is, even with all that, people on the right tend to be or just mainstream. You know, you know, you talk about the Dow, the the way, which is what C.S. Lewis was talking about, which is true. Of you know, he used it to describe the like the golden rule and all of the different uh, belief systems that are kind of 
part of natural law, where, where, mm -hmm. what everybody just understands. We understand that the species can't continue unless there's male and female reproduction, for example. That's just like something super obvious that on the left they want to deny. So which leads you to places where, where a guy takes hormones so that he can uh, leak out of his boobs and, and you know, you know, basically poison a baby right. so that he feels better about the fact that he is in the right body and not the wrong one or whatever he's mm -hmm. thinking, you know, making, making nature conform to his needs. Mm -hmm. And so like, we really have only seen this pushing back and we're already starting to see on the right from people like, um, uh, even Trump and some others who are uncomfortable uh, with winning this fight because mm -hmm. they don't want to get rid of certain constituencies. And, and so like we're in this kind of bizarro land of yes, we're fighting back, but no, we can't say this. And I think that yeah. the, the challenge people have is they don't want to sound mean to people, but yet they don't want their kids to be indoctrinated into this insanity. So how do you handle it? Yeah. Yeah. And we, and we have to sort of overcome that, the idea that pushing back against this and calling it what it is, is mean or somehow cruel, or it's, it's right. not that it's not compassionate. It's, it's a, it's a, it's a much more exaggerated version of, of what, what I sometimes argue when we're talking about like the border and immigration, I've spent a lot of time on the border re mm -hmm. reporting on the border crisis, the idea that sort of like the left or the Biden administration's border policies are compassionate is totally wrong. It's, it's the opposite. It's they're, they're cruel. It's, it, those are cruel policies because they, they create misery and they create yeah. a lot of suffering and a lot of, um, and a lot of exploitation. Uh, of of very vulnerable people, and that's exactly what what happens with this trans stuff. Uh, it, it it creates misery. It it is cruel. Uh, the the adults who should know better are are, are lying sometimes uh, for cynical reasons, for profit, and sometimes for ideological reasons because they really believe not not just that we can sort of like uh, you know overcome human nature, but we can overcome hu our human physicality. We can overcome our our embodiedness uh and and defy uh you know the 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 sex the the sex binary right um so i think that we have to and our our politicians um if they want to be part of sort of the the resistance to this have got to get over the idea that they're being cruel or they're being mean if they say no, you're not allowed to. We're not. We're not going to allow these these surgeries for minors in in our state. Um, and and if doctors do this, um, th they're going to go to jail and they're going to lose their medical license. I mean, it is amazing to me that Ron DeSantis is only one of the only mainstream politicians who's just willing to come out and like just say that plainly to the yeah. camera. Like what uh, you know, whatever you whatever else you may think of DeSantis, he's only one. He, he's one of the only like politicians with a national profile who just will just say it without some mealy mouthed uh, contextualizing without having to apologize for it just says the, the the thing that most everyone knows is true in a straightforward and uncontroversial way he just says it matter of factly if we can't get that kind of a consensus in in, in our political leaders uh, in, in our elected officials then there's there's not going to be 
there's not going to be any pushback in terms of like policy on any of this stuff. And and maybe there won't be, you know, that, that's the other thing we have to prepare for the fact that, that maybe there really won't be. Right. Well, one well, of the I mean, things that one of my friends said is that, well, it is a suicidal ideology. I mean, the one thing about this is the parents who are abusing their children into transdom is they're not procreating. It's <laughs> not happening. That that crazy that crazy town has a dead end, you know. Oh. It does. You know, the Soviet Union had a dead end too, right? But mm -hmm. uh, but you know, million tens of millions of people died along the way, you know. So it's right. I, in some ways it's cold comfort to say like, oh, th th you know, th this is a dead end. It, yes, it is a dead end. I I agree, it's a dead end in the long run. I mean, and as a as a as a Christian and as a Catholic, I think of course you know, we're fighting in some ways the long defeat at the end of which is the ultimate victory. But, right. um, but in the meantime, uh, it's, it, you know, I don't think that the right uh, should, should say, um, we just have to wait it out. You know, uh, mm -hmm. we have to wait it out, but we also have to fight. Well, I, if I can jump in here, I get back to the, the new Soviet man, right? And, and the Soviet Union, Russia collapsed under communism. China did not. And the difference between the two was Tiananmen Square, right? When uh, when the Soviet Union was in the process of falling and democracy was breaking out all around the Iron Curtain, the Chinese Communist Party took a look at the protesters in Tiananmen Square and they sent in the tanks. And that is the version of communism that's still around um, it was marked by the Chinese Cultural Revolution, which you see echoes all throughout our society right now. Um, and it is a communism that is far more brutal than the Russians ever. I mean, you know, Rus Russia had some semblance of Christianity left in their culture, even after several decades of Soviet communism. Um, and so there was a certain reticence to do the things that the Chinese realized needed to be done if they were going to perpetuate that system. And, you know, what was most important to them was control. It didn't matter whether people were capitalistic or, or, or you know, Marxist, Leninist in terms of economics. They were okay with turning their, their country from communism to fascism, so long as there was an authoritarian, totalitarian control structure on top of society. And the problem that you have here is, like we're saying, the machine doesn't work. But to keep from collapsing, the machine is exerting more and more control over people. And with you, when, when you have the level of technology, now you, you, we've talked about AI a couple of times in this, um, in this podcast over the last several episodes. I mean, you have a, a larger and larger establishment of control mechanisms against human beings um, within what's supposed to be a free society. And all of this you know, corporate pride month stuff that, that uh, John, you've done a really good job of describing in the last couple articles you've written, um, you know, and, and, and in academia, you certainly see it in pop culture. You see it, you even start to see it in, in within a religious context with a lot of the churches that won't stand against any of this stuff. And certainly within social media where, you know, we've found out over the last year that government is actually in the building censoring people through 
yeah. uh, Facebook and, and certainly before Musk went and bought Twitter, that was absolutely the case. I think it's certainly true with Google um, and some of these other things. I mean, 10 years ago, if I would have given you the scenario that we're facing right now, nobody would have believed that. I mean, everybody would have thought that was you know, something out of a sci-fi novel, um, except that it's actually here. And it's probably a lot more pernicious than we even give it credit for. Mm -hmm. um, and, I, you know, all what this is, this is a bunch of people who are really good at establishing control over things. They're not particularly good at running those things they control. Um, but less and less are they even interested in it because the point is to squelch whatever dissent there might be. Um, and, you know, I, I know you guys have seen it at the Federalist. We've certainly seen it at the American Spectator. You know, my sites have seen it. I mean, we, you get censored and you can't get the word out about, about your, you know, your point of view. Um, and they do that for a reason. They know they can't win the argument. And so they stop the argument. Yeah, yeah. And there's there's this huge amount of, of effort uh, that, that will be expended in trying to silence uh, the, the opposition and control them. I, I was I was frozen out of my Twitter account for a year um, for saying that Rachel Levin is a man, um, which uh, I, I would 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 thought that, that that was a pretty uncontroversial true statement. Um, but but yeah, it, it took a year and and sort of a mini campaign by my colleagues to get my account unlocked because um, I refused to delete the tweet and acknowledge that I had engaged in hateful conduct. But it's 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 mm -hmm. absolutely creepy. The disconnect between kind of what we were promised with the Internet, which was like the democratization of mm -hmm. the public square and 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 all these voices now that that, you know, could could that that, that could interact and um, you didn't have the gatekeepers anymore. Uh, that version of the internet that was that sort of like a couple uh, decades ago we all thought was coming into being has has turned out completely to not be true that the the gatekeepers are more aggressive than they ever were just back in the days when it was like you know family owned newspapers were the gate and their editors were the gatekeepers mm -hmm. or uh, you know a handful of big radio stations and television stations the gatekeepers now are at the CIA and the FBI and the Department of Homeland Security and that was one of the big revelations from the Twitter files right is that right. the the censoriousness and 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 the policies to suppress free speech as you say are coming from inside the the government the the federal bureaucracy essentially deputized Twitter to not just suppress mm -hmm. free speech, but meddle in our elections. Uh, and I, I, I wrote a, a long piece for Hillsdale College's in, uh, Imprimus magazine recently, detailing what we know. Like, what's the takeaway from the Twitter files? The, the takeaway is, is that the the surveillance state that the Twitter files sort of shined a light on, that's inside these social media companies, is totally incompatible with a self-governing republic. And it is an existential threat to right. our, our system of government and our in our way of life. And if allowed, if we allow it to persist, it will destroy the republic. It, it is, uh, the FBI, for example, has proven itself incapable of not meddling in our elections. It meddled in the 2016 election, it meddled in the 2020 election, and I guarantee you it will med meddle in the 2024 election. Um, yes. So it, it, this is the kind of thing like we have to be honest and clear eyed about what's happening. Uh, and it's it's not just uh, it's not it, it's not just the Internet. Right. It's not just 
Pride Month. Uh, it's not just the Los Angeles Dodgers, you know, making a bad call. It's all part of one uh, conflict. Uh, and, and as I say, to, to bring it back to where we started the discussion, it's a religious conflict because it's con conflict about the nature of reality. Uh, and that's the ground that we have to, to fight on. And, and the first step is just recognizing what's happening. Well, you know, and John, I, I was ahead, just, just thinking about, so like uh, when I remember when the Iran, the green revolution happened in Iran, I don't know if you recall that, but it mm -hmm. was really the first uh, Twitter thing that happened. And yeah. it was amazing the amount of information that got out yeah. and we could see in real time. So now we have what's going on in Ukraine. And you cannot get yeah. anything except propaganda. Yeah. There's, I have sought actual like uh, original sources, whether it be in Russia or in Ukraine, and you can't get it. Period. Yeah. You know they talk about filtering now. You know information going into Iran or going into China or going into Russia, but we don't talk about the very same things happening in the United States where we simply are not given the information so the American people can't make a, yeah. a a decision about, you know, is this a good thing or isn't this a good thing? Yeah. And that's just one example. And, and it was freer. It was freer. The information getting in and out of Iran was freer than it is now. And we have cameras everywhere. We have, everybody has phones and it's all lost. And yeah. so like when you, you make a compelling argument that it's a total warfare because it's on every single um, platform, yeah. it's every single corporation, uh, corporations have to um, actively try to avoid this stuff just to, you know, as far as trying to be neutral and, and kind of- Yeah, they're of not allowed to be neutral. They, no, if, they're not. If they try to be neutral, then the ESG folks and the activists come at them and say, like, right. you're not doing enough. You need to be act. You need to proactively sort of engage in Pride Month or whatever it is. Right. Well, and I would say it's even worse than that, because if you go and you look at, for example, Anheuser-Busch's stock price, um, and I mean, they're taking an absolute beating on Bud Light. And you, you saw much more of it. Um, over the Memorial Day weekend, which is a big beer drinking weekend. And I mean, it, there's video everywhere of, you know, convenience stores. That I actually saw uh, at, at, I don't remember what stadium it was, but there's a George Strait concert. And I mean, it's, you know, they've got this massive cooler full of beer cans and like all that's left is Bud Light because people came and drank everything else. Um, you know, that that should be a company that's completely in, in, in a disastrous shape, but Anheuser-Busch's stock fell. It's not really all that bad for them. And the reason is, is that the in institutional investors have backstopped the stock, right? I mean, you know, you've got State Street and Vanguard and, um, and BlackRock have come in and bought up the stock so that it can't collapse. And yeah. so there's a certain level of, of, um, you know, rigging the game so that when you do have a boycott of a Bud Light or a Target or something like that, you know, the ESG crowd is going to put their money where their mouth is. Yeah. And, you know, okay, so does that foreclose the ability to actually win this? I don't think so. 
Um, you know, but the answer is, is you've got to actually get into even deeper into the belly of the beast and you've got to do something about the Black Rocks and Vanguards and State Streets of the world. Um, and that, that happens at the state level to some extent. You've had some state treasurers and people like that who have divested from these um, these funds, which is, I think, a, a good start. But I mean, the, the more it's a rabbit hole. The deeper you get into this, the bigger the project becomes. Yeah. And you, you really stick like, OK, well, how did we get how did it get this bad? Like, I mean, you know, and what was happening when we weren't paying attention? Um, my concern is, is that as this stuff starts to get exposed, and it's certainly well worth the project of exposing it, um, you lose people because they just throw their hands up and say, it's, just, it's so bad, I don't even know what to do. I mean, how do I make my peace with this? Yeah, with this yeah, stuff? yeah. I, I think you have to, it, it, the project, um, the scope of it gets bigger and bigger, the, the more you learn, uh, and, it, and it becomes uh, you know, the, the, the beasts kind of, you know, grow, keeps growing heads. Right. And I think that that is a real temptation to throw your hands up. So I think that the message to people has to be, yes, you, you have to fight this. You have to fight the beast in, in all of its terrible, you know, uh, all, all of its many heads. Um, but you can also shrink the battle down like to, to a manageable, um, personal level as well and i mentioned this in in the piece uh it's a re if it's a religious war then then uh if you're going to be on the side of the tau if you're going to be on the side of objective moral truth then organize your life around that your personal life around that fact if you're a christian then then make your christianity the central organizing fact of your life and if that means changing the way you live and if that means taking stock of the way that you have been living while all of, you know, all of these things were happening kind of almost unbeknownst to you and you were maybe passively participating in them, um, change that, change the, the way that you participate in society uh, and, and, and make your religious commitments your first commitments. Um, and, and that can take a whole bunch of different forms that are that that you have control over, right? You have control over uh, whether or not you engage in social media and how you engage in social media. You have control over um, not just whether you buy Bud Light or whether you shop at Target, uh, but but to the extent that you you engage in corporate culture at all, right? To some extent, we are we're all trapped in corporate culture, but. There's a greater or lesser extent uh, of of our lives that we can choose to give to these companies, especially social media companies, or not. And and these are the things that I think individual families and individual Americans they, they do have more agency in some ways in that way. Um, if it's going to be a religious war, then we need re religious warriors, um, and and we need deeply committed people who are willing to essentially walk away from the mainstream culture, whether it is uh, walking away from the public school systems, which in some parts of the country are totally irredeemable. They, right. uh, uh, and we have to inspire others to walk away from them. I know that in, in certain parts of the country, public schools are on the verge of collapse because so many people after COVID have pulled their kids out and decided to reorganize their lives to be able to homeschool their kids. Right. Um, those are the kinds of, of 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 things I think where you can take this big religious war between the machine and the towel and you can bring it down 
into your own personal life and say, well, are we going to have a TV in our living room or are we going to choose not to? Are we going to have smartphones for our kids or are we going to choose not not to do smartphones for the kids? Uh, Those are decisions I think everybody needs to be thinking about uh, and sort of wrestling with right now. Well, you know, plus it's, I mean, buy local and buy small, right? Which is really not, you're not talking about a a, a huge um, change in your life. I mean, you know, rather than than shopping at some woke corporations uh you know big box retailer that contains a grocery go to the mom and pop store down the street yes you know, but and, but but also but also contemplate big changes in your life too i'm saying yeah no, I'm saying, I, right whatever I mean, is in your power can be big and small yeah, right whatever is in your power and there are changes big and small that are in in an individual person or a family's power and and, and you know, because if we're going to like preserve the flame and and there, and we're going to you know uh and we're going to sort of reestablish western civilization in the amid the ruins then it, it's that's what it's going to take is it going to come from a remnant of people who decide i'm not going to be on the side of the machine and uh, my family, I'm going to protect my family from the machine. And we're going to change our lives in the following ways right now in order to do that. Because the machine is coming for all of us. Um, and, and, and as we mentioned before, it may, be, uh, it may be incoherent. It may be objectively wrong. Uh, it may not like be, be sustainable in the long term, generations and generations. But it is enormously powerful it's captured every major institution in this country and they they will use all of their power to force people like us to submit agreed melissa what you got well i think that's a good place to stop i mean you've laid out the battle lines and i think it's time for people to wake up and understand what it means for them individually and and people have been making all sorts of small compromises. And I think that that, those type of small compromises are seem innocuous, but in the aggregate fund that beast. Yeah. And it's interesting that you're using the term beast um, because uh, it does seem to have an apocryphal meaning and also, uh, you know, a um, it's landing right now and it's everywhere and i really think that the cause is this our you know we we are carrying the mini beast in our hands pretty much nonstop, and it's changing um what we value and and um it's you know how we perceive reality how we perceive reality and so like you know it's easy to get lost in it and then you and then you kind of go back into like real life, tangible life. And um, but the thing that's scary me is what used to be on this kind of virtual world is in the real world now. Yeah. Um, and it's being amplified. And so we're yeah. seeing a lot more of the um, the war is becoming more real. And in some cases, actually literal, like fighting and this yeah. kind of violence and um, all sorts of things that just aren't good. Yeah. Well, okay, John, you know, tell everybody where the people can find your work and um, what you're working on. Yeah. Um, Thefederalist.com uh, is where uh, I publish uh, most frequently. 
And, um, and we, you know, we've got, uh, th- these are things that we talk about at the Federalist all the time, both in, on the site and in our podcast as well, uh, as I'm sure you guys do. Um, uh, on Twitter, at John D. Davidson, back uh, as of March, after a year of being locked out of my account, uh, I have to say, I was much happier being off of Twitter. Um, it was, it, it, and, and it was lucky in a way that I was. Um, because over, over the past year uh, or last six months, I've, I've also written a book called Pagan America, uh, The Decline of Christianity in the Coming Dark Age, which is uh, going to be out probably later this year from Regnery, uh, oh, which, which which is really, you know, the, the column of mine that we've been discussing in this uh, this whole issue um, is, is really um, that's what the book is about. So um, we'll get into it in much more detail. Well, thank you for that. And everybody needs to go buy that book when it comes out. Um, Yes. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I don't think that a lot of people realize that what they're seeing is really an ancient, the Druids would be very comfortable where we're at in America right now. It's not that different. So and that's great that you're bringing attention to this. I look forward to reading the book. Thank you very much for joining us today. Hey, thanks so much for having me. I've enjoyed it. It was a great segment with John Davidson over at The Federalist. I'm really excited about his book, Scott. So um, I'm really glad that he joined us today. Of all of the different publications that are out there, I feel like The Federalist people are definite friendlies, which so for those of our, you know, fans, hopefully you're checking out their work too. Anyway, So today is an interesting day, um, one that has been a long time coming, and that is that Elizabeth Holmes, the psychopath who did that uh, crazy um, kind of tech, med tech. uh, Theranos? Yeah, Theranos. Yeah, right. Where um, basically her deal was, which is a great idea, actually, and I do think it might eventually become something, but you basically poke your finger, have a little bit of blood, and all these kind of diseases could be diagnosed, and you don't have to spin down tubes and tubes of blood like you have to now block. But it was all baloney. It was all a made-up thing, and she's essentially a weirdo, and I'm just kind of, from a human interest story, we have these like Sam Bateman freed. There's another guy who um, I think was just indicted. Most of these people are like weird tech millennials that don't look like they ever take a shower or in her case, you know, had this feigned voice and, you know, buggy eyes where, you know, you're kind of like, Ugh, you know, freaks you out. And I'm like, right. how does nobody notice that these people are like obvious charlatans. Um, And I think it's always a, it's an interesting um, human condition that people, there's a certain segment, well, all of us on a certain level, like being deceived by someone we like being deceived by, you know, because we like the idea of this, pretty young woman who has these amazing answers or that, you know, this fat hippie kid could have all the answers too. 
Right. Yeah. Well, Sam Bankman Freed was a was like a um, that was a cartoon character come to life, right? Like the mm -hmm. you know he was an archetype from all these different movies or whatever. Is you know sort of the the um, the quant who looks like shit, but you know because he looks like shit, you assume he knows what he's doing. Right. 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 Rather than just being a fat loser who you know got staked by his parents into this company, he had no idea. You know, I, and I don't, I, I didn't follow Elizabeth Holmes too much, but the one thing that just struck me immediately with her was that whole girl boss thing she did was the ultimate grift, right? Mm -hmm. It's just like, it's so important that we have people like Elizabeth Holmes. And it's like, mm -hmm. yeah, and that's a really shallow analysis because um, anybody can play that role. The question is, is, is your company and is your idea for a company legitimate, right? Which is way harder than just acting out, you know, a certain persona that people think you ought to have. Um, and, and she was really clear, like you said, I mean, I, the whole thing was obviously a grift. Um, and, and, you know, to some extent, I kind of don't even falter for doing it because we have so little consequence in society today for people that are obviously lying about who they are and what they're doing. Um, She's paying the consequence. Have yeah, you I mean, she happened to be really unlucky. And my guess is, is like in her private moments, she's like, I mean, why do I get caught? You know, right, and right. probably it's, oh, it's because I'm a girl. And it's like, yeah, that's the right lesson to draw from this. Um, well, she's got two babies. So like she just had a kid and she's got like a two year old and right. she's not going to see them grow up. And uh, it, it's just that I, I don't know if you've watched any of her, like I've watched some videos of her with her, like her modulating her voice down. It is just so weird she's so weird uh I don't know it's anyway so she's going to prison finally I feel like she, there I, I can see why she would ask the question because you wonder you know all of the the feds who have done evil crap who will never see a day of jail right. um you know and will be on tv Peter Strzok comes to mind right. um who will be on TV and be spokesperson, the fact that anybody has any consequences for anything at all uh, can probably seem shocking for our- yeah, you, you could actually interpret pretty much all of it as unjust. Yeah. When you have so much just obvious crime that's, that's being completely ignored. Right. Um, on, you know, on the part of people with power, um, you know, and so you look at this and say, well, you know, it's, you, you just can't be powerless in American society. Um, mm -hmm. and that, that's a, that's a real kind of primitive existence that you go back to, which is, you know, you have to attain the kind of power and control that protects you from, um, uh, your own negative actions or your own evil. Um, and so because you need that, you can play the ends justified justifies the means game to the hilt mm -hmm. and you see it more and more in society and you know like it just drags us further and further away from 
you know, the virtuous people that we need to be if we're going to sustain a constitutional republic, right? Like there was a, um, and it's a week or so ago, and, and you know, we, we, we missed last week, and I really wanted to talk about it in last week's spectacle, but I don't want to belabor this too much. Um, John Hawkins at uh, Culture Seidel had this long post, and he was kind of drawing from something Jesse Kelly had said on Twitter, where Kelly basically said, look, we're going to have a dictatorship. It's coming. And he basically, you know, it's kind of doing the, the, the titler cycle uh, analysis, which is to right. say, you know, you've got a, a non-virtuous society that can't govern itself. And right. so pretty soon you're going to have a dictator because that is sort of the, you know, the trajectory of history. Um, and, you know, Hawkins basically, look, everybody beat Jesse Kelly up saying that he was, you know, he was uh, advocating the, the the arrival of a dictator, which is not what he was doing. He was saying that, you know, the, the quality of our society is such that it has to be governed by a dictator because it's not capable of governing itself. You know, and and you, you watch people looting all the stores in the in the uh, in the cities, right? Like, I mean, you know, Target's biggest problem is not uh, the binding and tucking swimwear that they're trying to inflict on the kids, and people getting pissed off about that. The biggest problem that Target has is everywhere they have a store inside a city proper of size, people routinely come in and loot the hell out of the place and just walk off with all their stuff. And so they lose money in all of those stores, but they know because they're a woke corporation that they can't just pick up and leave all of the cities and only have suburban stores. They would become a totally different company. They probably would have to be on the side of the towel and the C-suite at Target is totally opposite of that. The problem is, is that their customers don't actually pay for the stuff when they come in the store. So it it kind of puts Target in a really bad situation. I have a hard time feeling bad about that. I don't feel bad about them at all. I, I have thought maybe maybe Target will pay attention if a bunch of middle-aged white ladies put on masks, go in and just start taking the stuff that they want. And then maybe we can start having a conversation about how things should go. But I, I'm like, you know, if I'm supposed to feel badly about this, I don't. You know, the the companies that are having to move out of Portland, move out of San Francisco, move out of cities generally because of their own policies. And then they're getting eaten by the very people uh, that they're, who have hold them in contempt and rightfully so. Right. Yeah. And that they're trying to pander to. Right. It's like, hey, have you noticed that you're pandering to the shoplifters, right? Right. Um, and to me, look, I'd love for Target to go out of business. Okay. If Target went out of business, that would open up more space for mom and pop retail to come back. Plain and simple. Now, you know, what that might end up doing is pushing more people into Amazon, which is not well, a good thing. Well, that's what it is doing. And, I, but, and I've wondered and, about that too. But if you, you know, like I keep saying in all kinds of different sort of venues, I mean, there's value in the churn. Right. So because, you know, if Target goes down and, and there was a long thread on Twitter and I don't remember exactly where I saw this, but this this guy on Twitter actually went through Target's quarterly reports. 
mm-hmm. and and basically said if 20% of the conservatives who shop at Target were to back off and not shop at Target and just mm-hmm. just don't get groceries from Target, right. okay? You'd put the whole company out of business because their margins are that small. Right. Um, you know, and if you did that, then the space would open up. And yeah, people would go to Amazon, but if there's, you know, some guy starts up a grocery store down the street and people aren't shopping at the super target at, you know, in the outside of the mall, right? And instead they're down the street at, you know, Mike's grocery store. You know, I, like that's a win. And I, I think people need to start looking into stuff like, like that. Um, it's well, one well, of the small changes think, we were talking about with John. Don't you think we'll see as far as Target goes there? Um, because it, it can be really subtle. It doesn't have to be that big of a difference to make a huge difference. Yeah. Because For the a big box, are... low, vo- you know, high volume, low margin retailer right. like that. I mean, you can put those people out of business in a heartbeat. Right. You really can yeah and 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 they you know to your point about like the uh big investors being a backstop for like anheuser bush i'm sorry but like they can do that for a while right but it's killing them it is killing their brand and they'll be lucky if any bush beer whatsoever uh really makes it after this i can't believe it like every every store that i've been into whether it be costco bars i was in a a wing joint and the and you can't give away bud light like it's just i've never seen anything like it they're they're just it's a and it's a permanent it's a permanent thing because they're now they've now become an icon for the woke corporate you know, right. leftist cultural aggression. Um, and, 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 you know, really unwittingly so, because this this was just sort of a throwaway, oh yeah, you know, we need brand ambassadors, so we'll take this guy mm-hmm. too, right? And, you know, so you'd almost say, well, you know, maybe this isn't just, and that was kind of what Donald Trump Jr. said when he told people, mm-hmm. well, you know, no, no, because uh, it's time to take scalps, right? And this was a scalp and Target is a scalp. And I think that these are going to be permanent things. I think these are brands that are permanently ruined and they think they need to be ruined. And yes, there is damage and there are people that didn't do anything. I mean, I, like I really feel for the Anheuser-Busch distributors. Yeah. Um, the You know, like the one where I live, they distribute a bunch of other stuff, you know, and I mean, they, they, they took a beating on Bud Light, but they, you know, they distribute a beta beer, which is 10 times better than Bud Light anyway. Right. Um, so like they have other things that they can do, um, you know, and if this is a permanent reorganization of that sector, then good. Right. And, you know, like that's that'd be a lesson to you. Um, and I like I think that if we're going to stop this this wave of of tyranny and evil mm-hmm. that that everybody you talk to agrees has washed over us, then, you know, it's going to take making permanent what small victories that we can make yeah okay you have to put i mean it's a doolittle raid if that makes any sense to you right like after pearl harbor you know we went did the suicidal do we bomb tokyo and the japanese realized you know look they haven't even mobilized yet and they were still able to hit us 
Right. Um, and it didn't right. turn the tide of the war, but it definitely shook the enemy and it made them think, you know, we probably should be a little defensive in how we operate and maybe don't stretch out too far. You know, like, I think we need a series of do little raids. I think Bud Light was one. I think Target is one. Mm -hmm. um, you're starting to see it here and there. Well, we saw Disney has taken a hit. Disney, yeah, Disney you know, is that because they, they're um, the, that whole brand has been really hurt, and um, you know their visitor to their parks is down. Their visitorship to their parks is down, and they're really heavy. You know they've embraced all of the the you know gay stuff. Okay, fine, having a gay day and all that. That's one thing. I actually don't care about that, but the right the actual uh switching the characters around making things more adult infecting the children with you know obnoxious right. propaganda um, no, it's about the kids i mean at the end of the day that's what it's about and i i saw a couple polls in the last you know couple of weeks most gay people are not on board with all of this pride stuff Right. I mean, most gay people in America are like, this is way too much. It's obnoxious. And it, it actually alienates straight people who wouldn't otherwise care. Right. Right. And, you know, these are the, like the, the vast majority of gay people that just really want to live their lives. Um, and and, you know, I mean, this fits into John's paradigm perfectly. Right. You know, you're gay. And so your your natural sort of attitude may be that you're more toward the machine. But you you're made uncomfortable by the excesses of the machine. Mm -hmm. So maybe you have to now choose the Tao, and it doesn't exactly make you comfortable to do it because the things that the Tao is based on don't exactly jive with your lifestyle. Um, right. So it put it. I mean, it puts a lot of these folks in a really disadvantageous position, and you feel for them. But you know, again, our side didn't start this war. You know, and the and the big sort of psychological um, adjustment that we've got to make is the fact that look, you know, we didn't start it, we didn't choose it, we have to finish it because it's a battle for survival at this point, and that means becoming as ruthless as the machine, which we don't want to do. But you're either going to like accept losing the war or keep fighting. Well, on that note. Yeah, that's a that was a unwitting just I just stumbled into the finish, didn't I? You did. You stumbled into it. Yeah. Uh, so, well, thank you, everybody, for listening. You know, like and share wherever you can. Right now, we're being um, booted from Google as YouTube, as per usual. And so you'll have to find us on Rumble. You'll you can find us, of course, at the American Spectator and uh, you can find us on We're all the different the show on Twitter. This is a Twitter show at this point. This is a Twitter show at this point. And you can find us on podcast platforms everywhere too. So there's really no excuse for not listening to us because we're everywhere. That's the, that's, that's the conclusion I'm coming to Scott. That's right. Thank you all for being here and we'll see you next week. Mm -hmm.